You're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome to the Gimme 5 Podcast. I'm Greg, and I'm here with Jimmy. Hey. And Rob. Hey, what's up? Here on the Gimme 5 Podcast, the three of us discuss five things that entertained us this week. This is week two of our comprehensive review of Halloween Horror Nights Orlando, the 27th Halloween Horror Nights, where we are going to be covering all of the original haunted houses uh, as opposed to the licensed ones that we did last week. Uh, we're also going to cover some other cool stuff. We got a little bit of news from uh, Jimmy and myself. Gonna talk about the brand new Kingsman movie, a book that might have flown under your guys' radar, Dead End Girl, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Goldbergs, the uh, ABC TV show that brings us back to the 80s, and I absolutely love it. So I'm gonna try to sell it to you guys, and of course, as I said before, the original houses at Halloween Horror Nights, so the original properties there. All right, guys, this is a review show, and there will probably be spoilers. We will, as always, try and avoid major twists. So, for example, if you would be angry if we revealed that a camp counselor has sex in Friday the 13th, and they are going to be hacked to bits by a machete-wielding psychopath, or if you will be disappointed to learn that Rob once snuck into a petting zoo after hours with peanut butter smeared on his chest, you might want to pause and come back later. <laughs> I'm so glad you put it on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't put it on your chest. Uh, yes, you, you did. Don't lie. You put it Don't on your lie. chest. I need help doing that kind of thing. You know I'm not allowed to play with, like, objects. It's well, true. It's true. <laughs> sharp objects. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been the Give Me Five podcast. Have a good day. And we're out. Um, if, you'd like to, if you'd like to send any complaints, you can find us at Facebook. <laughs> Just search for the Give Me Five podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at Give Me Five Pod. You can hit us up on Gmail, give me 5 podcast at gmail.com, and leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you happen to be using. It really helps us out. So, guys, do we have anything new for this week? Yeah, I'm probably pretty late to the party here, but it kind of blew my mind. Um, I just found out this week that Danny Elfman was the singer in Oingo Boingo. That blew my mind, too. I was standing right next to him when he learned this information. I, too, was learning it for the possibly the first time. Um, and in a related story, the when we're at work, one of the things that p people actually talk about is who the lead singer of Oingo Boingo was. So <laughs> our workplace is way cooler than yours. Actually, how I came to find this out is um, I was watching, of all things, because every couple of months I get the itch to start skateboarding again, and I was watching videos from 1986 Flatland competitions of Rodney Mullen. And he was skating to a song that I really liked. And it was Just Another Day by Oingo Boingo. So I shazammed it. And I found this out. And I went down this weird internet rabbit hole. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> They're always weird internet rabbit holes. <laughs> Which is weird because usually our weird internet rabbit holes eventually lead to like serial killers. Without fail. But this you? time it led to Danny Elfman. <laughs> How about you guys? What's new, Greg? Um, well, uh, let's see. We do have a little bit of news. 
Uh, I guess I should talk about that now. It's nothing is, is finalized yet, but it's something we're working on, uh, Jimmy and myself, through work. Uh, there is a radio station starting up that is will be an internet radio station that's being broadcast around the world, of course, because it's internet. And we are up to round three of our tryouts. And we are going to do a, uh, a synth wave or a retro wave or a dark synth or whatever you want to call it radio show in which we not only play all the music that we talk about on here, you know, stuff like The Midnight, Perturbator, FM84, Miami Nights 1984, you know, all that stuff. We're going to be playing that kind of stuff as well as talking about things like Blade Runner and other futuristic kind of kind of uh, Neo-Tokyo utopia kind of things. I am looking forward to that movie, by the way. Uh, as am I. I got an alert on my phone that said, get your tickets now, and I got super excited. Yeah. That'll definitely be covered by us, um, both on hopefully on the radio show, but but definitely on this show. So we're going to do that. We ha- we have made some contacts with some of the musicians and the record labels that are involved with this music, and things seem to be moving along. So we will, of course, keep you posted on that, and we might have the opportunity to actually play some music. How about you, Rob? Um. Well, we I've just been planning a uh, uh, a work trip to Halloween Horror Nights. <laughs> I think we've got like. 15 co-workers together and we're all going tomorrow night so that should uh somehow we ended up part of the uh, conversation <laughs> that, that should that should be interesting um <laughs> we'll see how that goes but um oh i oh, well you know i not something that i really paid all that much attention to but uh hugh hefner passed away i guess i heard yeah he did and that was yeah I, a thing that happened i guess yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the thing. I'm always happened. weird about the celebrity deaths. Like, there are some people that I think everyone has that friend on Facebook that like they're so quick to be like R.I.P. Whoever the second it happens. Yeah, like they're really looking for that. I want to be the person that breaks the news. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that's just not me because I'm like I don't know that person. And I feel terrible, but I was like, God, he was still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ninety one people. He was looking. You know, people he was looking pretty bad legacy. the last time I saw him. I think. Yeah. Well, that's when you used to hang out at the the bunny ranch or the the Playboy Mansion, right? <laughs> oh Those God, are two I different wish. things. I wish. It's always interesting when that kind of news breaks, and like you know, obviously none of us know any of the, any of the celebrities that pass away, but you know, there's some that affect people more than others. You know, like like Carrie Fisher hit hard, but David, other celebrities, it's David like, Bowie. Yeah, like David Bowie hit hard, still hurt, but other people were like. Oh, well, that's interesting. Or as Rob said, they were still alive. Yeah. Well, and I, I've never really been one who's been affected by, like, celebrity deaths. It was like, oh, yeah, it's a shame that Carrie Fisher died, but it really didn't hit me all that hard. I, I Just celebrity deaths has never really been anything that's kind of, like, affected me all that much. But And, uh, I'm, you know, looking at the notes here, there's one other thing that kind of appeared on there that I know nothing about, but I, I think Jimmy will definitely have some opinions on that that would be the new red dead redemption trailer for red 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 dead redemption 2 uh did you actually watch it i did uh i watched it earlier today um i'm just gonna go ahead and say while i was on break so i don't get in trouble um (laughs) if you guys haven't played insinuating that i would actually do anything other than be like dude show that to me yeah um if you guys haven't played red dead redemption it's one of my favorite all-time games um it was developed by Rockstar Studios. It follows the story of John Marsden in the first one. Uh, this one uh, appears to have no direct relation to the character, although I didn't hear who the main character's uh, last name was. But it ha- it appears to have everything the first game had and more. You can hunt. You can play, you know, c- 
because games at the saloon it's just this open world and you can do so much more than just do missions you can but, ride horses off of mountains <laughs> yes you can i felt terrible every time i did that but it's unavoidable <laughs> um i can't wait it's a shame it doesn't come out for another year but hopefully it just kind of goes away and and pops back up and surprises me so are you putting in vacation time right now for a year from now oh man um yes i'm i'm guessing it's september next year then because i'm looking at the notes and it says doesn't come out till 2018 and i'm like dude that's like three months away no i believe it's spring of 2018 okay i wish so we're gonna chat a little bit i guess about a few topics here, but then, of course, we're going to jump into part two of our Halloween Horror Nights extravaganza. So, extravaganza. Uh, Rob, since you were the I one like that thought, why don't you bring up the Kingsman part two? Was it the Golden Circle? It was. It was. Um, it was actually really good. I liked it a lot. Uh, I Like most sequels, I, I liked the first one better. Um, the first one just seemed a little bit better laid out. But this one, this one really delivered. Julianne Moore was a fantastic villain. She played the psychopath really well, um, and there were there were some interesting twists. And I I don't want to give too much away, but it it was pretty much what you it, it was pretty much everything you would expect from a Kingsman movie. I mean, there was lots of action, good fight sequences. There was some. There was a little bit more comedy this time around than I think there was in the first one. Mm. Um, but it wasn't. It didn't seem to me like it was forced. I mean, there may be, there might have been one or two instances where I was like, "That's really kind of unnecessary." But other than that, I mean, the 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 comedy seemed very natural. Um, the the actors were fantastic. Taron Edgerton, I think, is really good. Um, yeah, he's, he's the guy he that also, plays. Did you know he was the? Yeah, do you know that he was is also a singer and he he sang in that movie Sing. He did. He was the, he was uh, the gorilla Johnny. Yeah, and like wow, that was like really him, and he was really good in that. Yeah. Yeah, he was really I did good. Not know that. And and oddly enough, he was singing. I believe it was an Elton John song, wasn't it? In sing. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, was I'm si- still standing. Yeah, that's right. He was singing. I'm still standing. He was singing an Elton John song, and Elton John had had a fairly large cameo in this movie. Oh, cool! Awesome. I really liked Kingsman One. As did I. It, it really was a great movie. I I mean the the first Kingsman really kind of brought back. Um, shades of James Bond without the mm. without the pretense, if you will. Yes, um, that was exactly what I thought. Actually, I, we probably discussed this because I saw it with you. Um, it's mm-hmm. not honestly; it's very rare that I get a chance to go see the movies anymore. Mm-hmm. But so when I do, it's inevitably with you. And when I got over, I was like, "This is the what the James Bond how it should have modernized." And yeah, I thought it was really interesting in the trailer for the, this one for part two some of the giant reveals that I don't think they should have made. And I'm not really one of those people that gets upset at the trailer showing too much, but uh, there was actually even an article about the director being pissed that the trailer showed, like, a major character returning. And Oh, yeah. Okay. They you know, it was like, you know, look, I'm just the director. I have nothing to do with the marketing. I have nothing to do with what the studio does, but I would have gone a different direction. And I kind of agree, even though it was a, an applause point for mm-hmm. the people that love the movie. Yeah. I think that it would have much better saved for the theater and then after the first week that the movie is out people will be talking then, about it yeah and then people can reveal it yeah um so yeah if you haven't seen the trailer i won't blow that reveal for you because i i think it would have been neat to have been surprised by it but um 
all in all, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I can't say that it was a waste of time. It was worth going to see in the theater for me. Um, and you know, with theater prices the way that they are now, you know, that very there's not a ton of movies that are like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you looked into the movie pass thing? Ah. You know, I keep forgetting about that, and I really need to, but I haven't. Um, have we talked about that on the show before? We have not, but I, I have one. Oh. I just haven't had a chance to use it yet. Oh, crap. So I, I was going to wait. I wanted to wait until I use it before actually doing it. I think it's something along the lines of you you figure out what time you want to see the movie, you kind of dial it up on an app, you pay for it there, and then they just scan, they scan it in. But I haven't used it yet, so I was, I was unwilling to say yay or nay mm-hmm. you know, to all 13 of you out there. Um <laughs> And not actually true. It's more. To our dozens and dozens of fan. Um, Thank you, Mick Foley. Yeah. They, uh, so, you know, once I actually get a chance to use it, and I'm, I really got to see it still, and I got to see Kingsman, so I'm going to maybe try to find a time to do that using that pass so I can see how it works. Um, Jimmy. Yes. I want to I hear about this book. So I've been talking about this, um... With you for a while, and I've I've brought up the, yeah. the authors of this book before, um, because they have authored uh, numerous books together. My introduction to them actually, I received a private message on Twitter, which I I rarely ever check, and that one of the authors said, "Yeah, that sounds like a setup." <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a kind of a, a blanket email, kind of a marketing thing or message that said, you know. <laughs> Hey, read my new book, or I'm gonna drink this gallon of bleach, something like that. So I said, "Now okay. Jimmy's a Scientologist." <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a, a prequel, and it was free um, for the first book in um, a series. Not the f- first book that they've written, but that series is called "The Scattered and the Dead," and that's a post-apocalyptic survival. Um, zombie story from the perspective of different characters and i gotta recommend that one as well i'm working my way through the series um but this book i never thought in a million years i would be a fan of the crime genre i guess detective kind of kind of dealio but this book is called dead end girl and it's written by lt vargas and tim McBain. Um, McBain. <laughs> it's it's a crime thriller revolving around the main character, um, FBI agent Violet Darger, who was formerly with a different division in the FBI, the Victims Assistance Unit, and this is kind of her first big case. And her and her partner and a, a small team of other people um, are tracking down a serial killer whom the media has dubbed as the Doll Parts Murderer, and. He's this just very bizarre, awkward guy. Um, he targets women, and it it can be very graphic at times. If you have read any of L.T. Vargas and Tim McBain's work, um, The Scattered and the Dead, they don't pull any punches, um, but they they really write a good story, and it's a it's a real page turner. Um, it it kind of focuses on their their profiling of their murderer and um what what is the background of the authors um do they do they have a background in any of that stuff or are they are they just really well researched i don't believe so i think they're just really well well researched um 
based on their bios and everything like that. Uh, LT Vargas, she uh, really likes cats. <laughs> and murdering cats. <laughs> Not murdering and, cats. And cat figurines. Yeah, now that's you. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, but, you know, if uh, the term dead-end girl uh, actually refers to a type of not person of interest, but uh, a witness, an unreliable source, uh, a woman, maybe a woman of the night who's dabbled in drugs or other illicit activity who might have good information, but they have a habit. So they're not super reliable. And generally those kind of leads lead to dead ends. Gotcha. It was the giant purple lizard that murdered them all. The giant purple lizard. Um, so check it out. I'll, you know, I've reached out to them and hopefully we'll be talking to them. Um, big fan of their work. I'm, I've already read the, uh, the follow-up novella to Dan and girl. It's called, uh, image in a shattered mirror. And then I am currently working on the second full length book in the series. I just can't put them down. So if you guys want to check them out, you can check out now, one series. They had that box set that you had me get yes. it was like 99 cents, right? Yeah. Um, a digital box set. They quite frequently, um, actually, if you go to either of their websites, um, ltvargus, V-A-R-G-U-S dot com or timmcbain.com, T-I-M-M-C-B-A-I-N dot com. I really want to do Bane with a Scottish accent, but I know I'll screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) You can try. Um, Yes, I will definitely cut that out if you do it. (laughs) Wink, wink. But... If you actually go to their website right now, you can get the prequel to the Scattered, Scattered in the Dead series. And if you um, follow them, look them up on their website, uh, follow them on Twitter, they will occasionally send out uh, promotions where if you buy, you know, this, quote, box set because they're self-published in digital format, they're able to sell this whole box set for like two ninety nine. You know, don't quote me on that because I got that's where I got it. And I got like a free book with it. Um they're constantly offering up free books and uh, check them out. Read dead end girl, check out the scattered in the dead and let me know what you think. Awesome. Nice. I got a little something for you guys as well. Uh, That is season five of the Goldberg started. There's going to be a lot of TV coming up because of the fall season starting. Um, I love the Goldbergs. Is that the wrestler? His family? (laughs) Funny. Funny. You should say that. He actually has a, uh, a part this season. Oh, nice! In the, in the uh, show, awesome. He plays the um, the gym. He's going to play the gym teacher's like big brother, and the gym teacher is one of those like you know overly macho guys. Um, so, but he's the going to play the big brother that is inevitably going to be the bullying of bullier, the bully of the gym teacher. So, the Goldbergs, if you do not know, sold. Yeah, I, I'll let you know. It's coming later this season. Uh, the Goldbergs is a story of a family growing up in Philadelphia in 1980-whatever. So it's it's very vague as to which 80s it is, and it's kind of like it, probably all of our recollections of the 80s where we're not entirely sure which year we got our Transformers or our G.I. Joe stuff, but we know that we got it sometime in the 80s. So things don't exactly happen in the right order. But it's comedy, you know, 30 minutes. And this season is um, is season five, and it's the first season that the, the big sister has m- gone off to college. Uh, the two brothers are still, one of them's like a freshman in high school, one of them's a senior in high school, and actually I think he's a sophomore in high school and a senior. 
But anyway, um, it's just a really cool show that that is really like watching your childhood because almost every single episode they'll talk about something and you're like, oh, I remember exactly when that happened. I remember being allowed to stay up to watch the Al Capone's vault thing. Or I remember wanting to go see Nightmare on Elm Street in the theater or any of those kind of little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really kind of interesting and the thing I... First of all, the first episode of the season was a, was a weird science throwback. Oh, so nice. What they, were do, what they were doing is the, um, the senior brother, his girlfriend went off to college, so he was like all sad. I'm never going to have another girlfriend. So the younger brother's like, let's feed all of what you want in a girl into this computer and we'll make your perfect girl. What he was really doing was, was getting the information to give to a friend of his to go find a girl that matched up kind of thing. And one of the, one of the teachers comes up to him in the hallway to talk to them, and it actually is um, Ilan Mitchell-Smith from Weird Science. Oh. Uh, he, was, he played Wyatt in Weird Science, and he did a cameo, and he hasn't acted since 1991. I was hoping you were going to say it was Kelly LeBrock. That would be awesome. <laughs> it was not. Um, so, yeah, it was the guy that played Wyatt, and he hasn't acted in either 91 or 2001. It's been a long time. Wow. And it was just a fun, fun show. And even the stuff that's ridiculous that you're like, wow, that's completely unrealistic, like the overbearing mom that won't leave the daughter alone at college and, like, sleeps in the dorm overnight. Uh, he actually follows every single episode with home video footage that he shot. Um, the guy that got started the show, Adam, is named Adam Goldberg, and he actually was shooting footage as a kid. And he actually has footage of all of this stuff that's in the show that actually happened. <laughs> so you think, like, wow, the mom is completely unrealistic. And then there's, like, video of the mom sleeping in the daughter. Well, I think it was her a brother, but they changed it to a girl for the TV show. So they had the video of this mom, like, would not leave the dorm because she was too sad to say goodbye. And it's right there. You're like, oh, well, the part I thought was unrealistic was actually the most realistic part in the whole show. Yeah. So um, it's out there. You can find it streaming, but you can also, of course, watch the current season. It's really, it's just a comedy, so you don't really need to understand anything but the 80s to enjoy it. And and I really do love the, the 80s throwback stuff. I mean, I can't wait for Stranger Things to come back. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. Nice. Hey, that and everything else. Everything. Everything. Particularly the lore is the one the lore episodes on Amazon Prime are the one I'm looking forward to. The Midnight Album. What else Jimmy did we determine today? Never Hike Alone. It's a Friday the 13th fan film yep. and the trailer looks awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> so we know what we're covering that week. Okay, guys, I think it's time. Time for... It's time! (laughs) Wow. Nicely done. Bob, take us into Halloween Horror Nights. All right, well, we're going to cover the original houses this year for Halloween Horror Nights, of which there are four. Uh, There are nine total houses. We covered the five licensed houses last week. Um, So this week we're going to cover the original houses, which include Scarecrow the Reaping, The Hive, The Fallen... And Dead Waters. And I think we'll probably go ahead and start with Scarecrow the Reaping. Um, From what I've heard, I've heard a lot of people saying that this is the best house there this year. Um, I've only been through it once. and I I have not been through it. I would have to say currently that I strongly disagree. And my basis for that is that when I went through it, this, this... uh, this house and the hive were both so dark that we couldn't see anything. Scarecrow the Reaping was actually the house that we walked into a pole 
in the middle of the house because it was so dark we couldn't see the pole. And I, this is why I need to follow him around with like a GoPro or a night vision camera at all times. <laughs> I would have loved footage of that. And I was all like, ah, so you think the darkness is your ally? <laughs> yes. And there it is. <laughs> I applaud you, sir. <laughs> But um, it, it looks like it's a really it looks like it's a really good house, and I'm really I was really disappointed when we went through it that it was too dark for us to actually see anything. Um, like it was literally so dark I couldn't see the scare actors who were trying to scare us. Um, and like I said, we went the first week, and that was kind of post Irma, so I don't know if they were still having technical issues or if they hadn't gotten everything fully up and running yet. But this was one of the two houses that suffered from the really dark issue. So there really wasn't a whole lot I could see inside the house. The outside looks fantastic. And you went you went during the day still, like correct. five o'clock, six correct. o'clock. Correct. It was still light outside. So then we also had the uh the adjusting issue with your eyes to the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, the outside looks great. Um I saw some pictures of it with the they built like a cornfield outside. Correct. And there's there's and a they, scarecrow obviously out in the uh cornfield. Yeah, and there's a giant like windmill like a metal windmill sitting out there. It looks really cool. It actually reminded me a little bit of Field of Screams. Okay, which was, yeah, um, a scare zone. Which was, which was, it was a scare zone. I I believe it was when they did the haunted houses between... It was. Because, Islands of because Adventure. That, was, that was a scare zone. That was the scare zone that bridged the two parks. Yes. So you had to walk through a cornfield that was built in the middle of a freaking cement walkway. It was awesome. Yeah, between Islands of Adventure and Universal... And you had to kind of weave your way through the corn, and there was, like, actors. That was one of the first times I ever saw them have, like, these those really tall, like, statues of the pumpkin guys mm-hmm. that they use a lot now. Like, the really, like, gnarled-looking ones. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the stilt walkers were wandering around. But it's because that was actually one of my favorite scare zones of all time. Right. The Field of Screams. And so when I saw that this was going to be one of the haunted houses, I was like, oh, that's the first one I want to go to. And then you warned me, you're like... It's still daytime, you know, we got to wait until it gets nighttime so we can actually see, and then I had to leave, so that, that'll that probably be one of the first ones I go to next time I go. Mm-hmm. Are we going, um, on, are we going on Sunday? Sunday, yes. Sweet. Um, I have to, have to see about Friday. Uh, the other thing, I, I did happen to kind of look at a walkthrough of Scarecrow. Uh, they definitely look like there's a lot of, like, claustrophobic, they kind of pinned you into small areas, apparently making you walk into poles, and they did a lot of that <laughs> stuff, and... I don't remember the name that they used when we went on the tour uh, where it's, like, stuff hanging down in your face. Like, twine and sticky rope Stiff. and... Stiff. Yeah, that's what it is. It was... Or Sif. Sif. That's what it is. Yeah. Stuff, stuff in, in face. face. Yep. Sif. Sif. So S- it had a lot of that, like... S-I-F. You could see it bouncing off the camera. Yes. So, a very cool thing I'm looking forward to. And we'll... we'll if we have to recover it, we'll recover it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Then, yeah. Revisit. Yes. The so, other house. Oh, I, I was going to say the other house that was super. I believe how rude he is. Do you hear that? He just cut me off and kept going. <laughs> the other house that was super dark. Greg actually went through with me the first time that we went through it. So I'll let Greg cover it. Yeah. The this house was another one I was looking forward to. The description that I first read in a couple local newspapers and online was it was an '80s style vampire hive that was built in a house. So as soon as I thought 80s, my first thought was something a little bit kind of like a neon version of Blade. And I was like, and then they mentioned the hive and they described it a little bit, little bit and I was immediately like, oh, this is kind of like uh, Lost Boys or Near Dark or uh, Once Bitten even. You know, like a suburban house that's been overtaken by vampires. Yeah. 
And what they did with this house was it's almost as if they built a suburban house and then destroyed it and, like, piled things up against the windows to make it as dark as possible. Like, there's you know, toys and things, like, nailed to the windows to block them off. There's these, like, termite mound kind of vampire hive things in there. There's, like, a, there's a room that has, like, a beam crashed down through the middle of it, which looks incredible. That was, like, the one thing I could see. Uh, there's – it smells like soil – and there's, like, coffins coming out of the ground. So it's it's a very cool-looking house. But, again, it was definitely too dark for us to see anything. Although Rob said that you said that the first time you went through it, it was even darker, correct? It, it was it was really dark. And, in fact, when, when you and I went through it for your for your first uh, trip through, um, there, was, there was that scene with the crib that you really couldn't make out what was in the crib because there was no lights on it. But when we went through it, you and I went through it, they actually had a spotlight on the crib so that you could see it. Yes, and it was horribly unpleasant. It was. Yeah. So the, it's, I want to go through that one again, of course. I mean, I want to go through all of them again. But I, I didn't – I got the feeling of the style of 80s kind of vampire where things were a little darker – and it was that kind of movie. It was before everything kind of got ironic and funny in movies that Scream kind of brought to the table. Mm-hmm. But it didn't scream 80s to me scream. at all. Yeah. It didn't, like, there wasn't, I mean, not that I wanted to walk in and see, like, a Knight Rider poster on the wall. Okay, I kind of did want to walk in and see a Knight Rider poster <laughs> on the wall. Or, or one of the vampires wearing a Thriller shirt. Yeah, exactly. Like, you turn the corner and there's a Poison concert going on. Like, I kind of did want that. But at the same time, what, what we got was pretty cool. Uh, the vampires were like Nosferatu-style vampires, which are my favorite style of vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, the the really elongated, you know, pale vampires. Uh, just that's that's the vampires that, that that do it for me. So I got that. So that was the hive. Awesome. The the ne- go ahead. The the next one is going to be all sorts of Satan-y. Yes. Just like the concert I'm going to this weekend. And what concert is that, Jimmy? Goat whore. Yeah, it is. <laughs> wow. Yes, Rob, there actually is a band named Goat Whore. That is that is awesome. Yeah. They're pretty good too. I might I might have to uh check into that. <laughs> just just based on that just, just <laughs> based on the name. Just based on the name. I was gonna say just like just like when I heard that the uh that the rock was talking about running for president and I was like and somebody somebody said if he can work the term candy ass into one of his speeches, I will vote for him on the spot. I will be like, here, take my vote. <laughs> so what's this Satan house? So the next house is called The Fallen. And it's kind mm. of got a like a heaven versus hell kind of feel to it. And I'm not I, – I didn't really read the, the backstory to it. I'm not sure if it's, if it's a ruined um, – I actually have the map right in front of me if you want to hear the backstory. Okay, give us the backstory. Um, let's see. The Fallen. Eh, that's not really that good of a backstory here. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. All you're, right. You're about, to, you're about to be caught in the crossfire of the eternal war of light versus dark. No one is safe. Apparently their copywriter wasn't safe either. Apparently. That's, that's what I got there. All right. That's from the official map, be- by the way. Because going into it, it looks like it's a a ruined citadel of some kind. What I can't tell is whether or not it's a demonic citadel or an angelic citadel, but there there has obviously been a war that's been raging inside the citadel. Um, and I thought it would have been a neat I thought it would have been a neat twist to have it be like an angelic citadel that the demons had invaded and had kind of wrecked and destroyed and had taken over. Yeah. Um, 
the look of it leads me to believe that it was a demonic one just because all of the structures right. are very dark. And that and that's kind of the feel I got from it too. And it's yeah, dark rock, dark stained glass, wrought iron spikes everywhere with angels impaled on them or people impaled on them. Uh, a really cool fire situation they've got going on there. You know where they have the uh, the kind of embers glowing in places, which we actually learned how they did that because they used it for the Halloween Two house a couple yep. years ago, where they use that orange foam, the the insulation foam that you see at stores. They just basically spray a whole bunch of that onto some Christmas lights, and then spray some uh, black paint over top of it, and it makes it look like burning coal, which is kind of neat. Yep. Ooh. Yep. Really, really neat trick. Um, I will say that they they have brought back. Uh, several of the effects that I really like that they've used in other houses. Um, they don't utilize at least one of them as well as some of the, some of the other houses I remember. Um, I don't know if you remember the house Castle Vampire from several years ago, Greg. Do you remember that yeah, one? With the, that was the one with the vampire sorority. It was like a vampire sorority house. Um, not really a sorority house. It was more like a castle but because it, it had like a gothic feel to it. Um, but it was it was the one where they really utilized like a lot of the uh, actors on uh, bungee cords on on yes. bungee swings, um, and I, th- I thought they did a really good job with that with that trick. Um, that has made a return in this house. Um, not quite as many as they used in 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 that house, but they, they do use it in this one, and I, I like that effect. Um, and they also so what he's saying is that you'll walk up and there'll be someone that like either launches towards you or away from you in this case towards you mm-hmm. like from your side where they basically like slingshot them towards you so it almost like is like they're lunging out from 20 feet away yeah and then they get snapped back at the last second yeah um and then they also i, I don't know if you were gonna get to this but they also have people like swinging overhead yes i was gonna i was gonna say that this is a this is a house that you do want to look up in because you will see you will see one or two neat little things so there'll be people up there. I think I at least saw three people swinging above your head, swinging mm-hmm. above my head. That was really cool. I I really did like. Um, I like the visuals in this house. It reminded me a lot of Gothic and of Winter's Night. Yes, and I really liked that Winter's Night house. That was that was among my favorites. I think. Yeah, if you can find pictures of that one online, it was it was a beautiful house. Like I wanted to to spend the night there. It was so like it looked like you were in the middle of a like a mansion in the middle of a winter. Yeah. Um, this house had a lot of good use of smells. And it kinda, I kind of did a little bit of research on that and found some kind of cool information that I put on here. Um, it didn't. It smelled in some areas like rot. Um, it didn't quite smell as much like fire and brimstone as I would have wanted. Mm-hmm. But between that and then the the other house that I mentioned, the um, the hive house with the, the soil, I th- I think they did a lot of really good jobs with smells. And there's an interview with with one of the people from one of the creative directors from Halloween Horror Nights, and he basically said that Universal holds a smell day every year as they prepare for the upcoming Halloween Horror Nights. An olfactory expert who also works with the military comes to the park with a suitcase filled with aromas of pumpkins and cupcakes and all that stuff, well, and the like. I don't want to really quote this exactly. But there's also a second, smaller suitcase. It contains all of the most horrific things you could possibly think of. Uh, Universal doesn't use aroma in every one of the mazes, but in several of them you can get a whiff of baked goods or other things that are hard to identify but crank up the creep factor exponentially. Um, now this actually brings me, the reason I'm talking about this is I've actually met this guy Hmm. because I do some work for the military Nice. and they're not kidding. He shows up with this nice silver suitcase that looks like from a spy movie and it's got stuff like peppermint, marigolds, 
And then he's got another suitcase that's rotting flesh. Nice. Dog poop. Tell me, tell me he shows up with that suitcase chained to his wrist. It is not chained to his oh, wrist. Oh, no. But I, I will tell you that it's, in, it's very interesting because the, the, the reason why we had to do it was we were doing uh, medical simulations. And one of the problems they were having was people would do all these simulations and be completely cool with the visuals of what they were seeing um, on the on the battlefield, mm-hmm. which, you know, they'd seen it so many times in simulations. They'd seen it so many times with dummies, but they weren't ready for the smells of burning and pet- petroleum and all these things. So they actually had these smells of, you know, you know sulfur and burning and all that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, this guy came into the office, and sure enough, my coworker uh, dropped the container. I believe it was hu- of human feces. <laughs> it wasn't actually a container of human feces, but it was the olfactory um, scent. Now, this stuff is—it's in a little jar about the size of a uh, like an eyedropper jar. And what you do is you put one drop in a diffuser, and it's supposed to last all day, or at least for a few hours. He dropped and shattered the entire jar of human feces smell so it was probably out a year's worth of human feces wafting through the office it was um unpleasant to say the least wow but it was interesting to hear that universal uses the same stuff that i've had to use at work um do you you remember the uh krampus house yes well obviously you do yes Um, the gingerbread last couple rooms yeah the last couple rooms when you were you went through the kitchen and it smelled like fresh baked gingerbread Mm -hmm. and it was like they're trying to scare you and i was just like no hold on i want to stay (laughs) It smelled like Christmas cookies and candles. It was it was beautiful. It was, and the yeah. gingerbread men were so cute. They really were. I'm surprised no one stole those. I think they were screwed down. Yeah, surprised you didn't steal them. Shh. <laughs> okay, the last of the original houses, Rob. The last of the original houses, and and a strong contender for one of my favorites, um, just because I really really like the design of this house, is uh, Dead Water. I think we lost Jimmy. That does look really cool. Okay. I have watched a couple of walkthroughs of these, and I'm a little more quiet because I I still haven't been yet. This Sunday, Jimmy. Oh wait, you not can't gonna go. happen. Shoot. Okay, we'll get him there. We'll get him there. But um, the this this uh, haunted house was actually inspired by a scare zone that they had a couple of years ago um, called the Bayou of Blood. And essentially, the story behind this house is it's a steamboat that wrecks in the swamp. And it's either it's either taken over or the all of the dead people are raised by like a voodoo priestess or something. Um, but they've done a really good job with the set design on this because you actually walk into like an off kilter uh, wrecked steamboat that looks like the swamp has kind of taken it over. Um, yeah, it's awe inspiring. Yeah, you turn that corner around that that draping uh, pipe and drape cloth thing, mm-hmm. and you're there. I mean, you're in a swamp. Yeah, and there's a giant steamboat. Half submerged in the soundstage. Yeah, really, really well done, and and they utilize that a couple of times. I I think this is the one that has like sideways rooms and stuff. Yes. Yeah. You walk in, and the second kind of hallway you're in is you're walking, you're walking straight down a hall, but the hall is tilted at about a forty five degree angle, angling you towards the undead sailors and things that are leaning out to try to grab you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Just just really well done. That. <sighs> For me, it was a little bit of a of a rough transition from the from the steamboat with the zombies to the swamp with the voodoo priestess and her followers, because um, mm-hmm. 
because it was kind of like a sudden transition. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a gradual, you know, they, they kind of work you there. It was like you're, you see these zombies and then all of a sudden, boom, you're faced with these, uh, with, uh, the voodoo followers. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, the zombies are kind of in classical Southern garb, you know, the type of garb that you would expect to see on a steamboat. Mm Mm-hmm. And the you know the captains wear and stuff like that. So the zombies are wearing that. Then it slowly starts getting a little more. You, know, you start seeing a little more candles, a little more symbology, and little tiny bones and things like that. Uh, they do another cool effect where you're walking straight, but the the walls are tilted, as if you're like walking along a boat that's on an angle. But it's kind of weird because the walls are tilted and you're and you're not. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get the feeling like you should be walking on an angle. Yeah. Um, and then you end up in the 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 domain of the the voodoo priest and that was it's for her being the main focus of this house she does show up very quickly towards the end and then it's gone yeah and so i think this house might be a little bit shorter than some of the other ones it's i think it shares it does share a soundstage with another house okay if i remember correctly okay yeah it's possible but it all in all i mean the set design on this and and one of the things that i really go for that i really enjoy at halloween horror nights is i like to see the set designs of the houses um, yeah. this is one of those ones that I'm like, oh man, they did a really great job with that. That one, that one was neat to go in and see. Not so much yeah, for the whole, openings. Yeah. Not so much for the whole scaring thing, but just seeing what they did and how they created the, or, or you know, seeing what they created was actually really neat. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of the four uh, original houses, correct? It does. I do believe so. Nice. That leaves us with one thing, fellas. What's the that? question? The question, the good old give me five question. Well, I think that we should play off of uh, a topic that we touched on last week. I do think so. Okay. So what are the five most offensive things that Rob has said in the past week? <laughs> the list no, uh, is so long. <laughs> yeah, we're, this might be a while. No, that is, that is not it. Um, so we are going to break the mold a little bit um, yes. because this question is – very expansive. All of our answers are going to be different. So we are going to list our five of each, and we will not be putting together a definitive five list. Yeah. And I have a feeling we're going to revisit this type of question quite a few times. Um, In fact, Rob was not part of this conversation because it happened at work today, but I'm sure he'll agree. I feel like... So the question... Let's talk about this first. The question is going to be most underrated horror films, and that can be underrated in one of two ways could be films that were completely critically lambasted which in this case a lot of horror films are let's be serious here or were actually pretty good and just didn't make that much money you know could have could have been made for seven million dollars and made eight million but it should have made 20 30 million that kind of thing and i think that what we'll do throughout the various episodes is we might look at genres of films and talk about underrated films in those genres because i feel like if we do just underrated films we're going to leave out a lot mm-hmm Oh, yeah. So we'll do, like, underrated comedies, underrated action films, kind of spread them out throughout the year, and then we can update year by year, because obviously, as years go on, more films are made, or we find more films. So, again, underrated horror films, who wants to go first? Well, I can go first, if you guys won't have any objections to that. Lead us off, Jimmy. You do have objections. I don't care that Greg has objections. You lead us off. I object to Rob. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Objection denied. So I am going to start with a film that I caught on Netflix, and actually a few. Um, 
two of these films are just the kind of ones that come across your feed recommended for you. And um, I think it was just bored one night and I clicked on the innkeepers and I can't tell you when the last time a horror movie kept me awake at night, but this one did. It is about a couple of innkeepers at a hotel and it's the last night that the hotel is open and there are stories about ghosts and things like that. So they set up their own kind of mini amateur paranormal investigation. This might be kind of a recurring theme. But it's got all the dingy, kind of gross inside of a hotel that The Shining has. Um, I'm not too sure if that's that's just the age of the film from The Shining, but it feels very scungy. Um, There's a guest, is this old guy, he's staying there, and you don't really know if he's just staying there for the nostalgia, it being the last night. But it's very, very creepy. And like I said, it kept me up at night. Um... This is on my list because it had a budget of $750,000, and it made $77,000. I gotta track that down. Huh. You said it's on Netflix? It was. Oh. It it might not be on this month, but it has been a few times. My next film is another one that I caught in the same way. Uh, Didn't really keep me up at night, but definitely gave me the chills. I used to be a big fan of the show Ghost Adventures, and it was... I used to love laughing at the the main character from that show, Zach Baggins, because he was just the biggest ghost bro. You know, he's like, come and get me, bro, ghost. Push me down the stairs. Always wearing his, like, $80, $90 t-shirts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like with the, the tattoo-looking t-shirts. Yeah. Um, like the affliction shirts and stuff oh, like that. But... This film actually did pretty well, but is still, I don't think a lot of people know about it. It's called Grave Encounters, and it is a paranormal-themed movie, and it follows around a film crew. And it's even got the guy, the main guy, is just kind of, hey, what's up? Welcome to Grave Encounters, kind of, you know. But, and kind of watch it, it could very easily turn people off, I think, because it doesn't feel serious at all. But it takes one of the damn coolest turns that I've seen in a, a, I guess, pretty recent horror movie. Um, I won't spoil it. It is a found footage film, so if you're not a fan of that, you, you, you probably won't like it. But it it took a dark turn and a pretty scary one. So check it out. Um, number three, Stakeland. Uh, probably the coolest take on a vampire movie. Um Think about kind of post-apocalyptic, but uh, the world is kind of overrun with vampire-type creatures and cult leaders. Um, Pretty violent. Follows the story of a guy whose parents are killed by vampires, and he's taken in by a guy called the Mister, who is kind of this you know badass vampire slayer guy. Um, Didn't do that great. Made thirty-three thousand dollars, but it's got the ultimate scream queen. Danielle Harris. Hmm. You know who she is. You've seen her. Oh, yeah, I definitely have. Brown hair from uh, Halloween 2. She was I the think. little girl in The Last Boy Scout, which is what I know her from. She was, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, next. Then she was in something else. She's been where in she like had, Where everything. she was like, well, she was in something else I saw her in, and she was naked. And I, the, the only time previous to that point that I'd seen her was in The Last Boy Scout when she was like seven. 
and it f- made me feel really bad that I was seeing her like not in close. You felt dirty. <laughs> a little. Not in a good way. So next is your next. And that is from Death Note director, Blair Witch director, we've talked about before, Adam Wingard. I think it's one of his first movies. Um, this is a film that I saw, and I said, where has this movie been all my life? I wish, wish I had seen it in the theater. And it has the most amazing use of a song that I'd never heard called Looking for the Magic by the Dwight Twilley Band. And I have not heard that. Once you guys see it, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Super violent, funny, and just an amazing stalker film. And last but certainly not least on my list, piggybacking off of a topic that we discussed last week is Event Horizon. Yeah. This movie has a 24% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I cannot for the life of me understand why. I, do, I don't get it. And and also, of note, Event Horizon actually celebrated its 20th anniversary last month. Yeah. Which means I worked at Blockbuster 20 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Event Horizon, talked about it last time. It stars Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. It, Can't go wrong there. It did so amazingly terrible. And I know that because it's on my list. It was It's on my list as well. And it was one of the ones that, that I was just surprised at what a flop it was. Because um, its budget was sixty million, but it only mm-hmm. made twenty six. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, it came out at the end of the summer. It was it that. was a massive flop, and it was it was a really good movie. And I don't understand what happened. I don't. I don't either. You know, I'll occasionally see articles like, "Oh, why you think Event Horizon is great, but it actually sucks," and I'm like, you know what, you suck. Yeah, because it's a great movie. <laughs> It was uh, it was directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, who at that time went by Paul Anderson, whatever. But he's directed such forgettable films as Resident Evil One through eight hundred and fifty. He directed Mortal Kombat and Alien vs. Predator. Yeah, both yeah. forgettable. Yeah, but it's number one on you know, like I said, it goes back and forth between like one and three on my favorite horror movies of all time depending on my mood, but I absolutely love the movie and it deserves to be up there and it's on my list. Nice. Yeah. A strong list. And uh, you know, I, I really, the way you marketed those films, the way you described them, even the ones I did not know about like Stakeland, which I sort of knew about, but not. Oh, it's so good. Like I want to go, I want to stop right now. It's really, really freaking good. He didn't catch the fact that I just stopped right now. Didn't you catch that? Oh, anyway, that's okay. I wanted to stop right now and go like watch that. So it, the the problem with some of these, I think, was marketing because I think that even just with those descriptions, people would be like, "That'd be kind of cool to see." Mm-hmm. I'm going to go now. All right, go. Greg, go for it. My number five, going five to one, is Dead Silence, which you guys probably know as the ventriloquist ventriloquist dummy movie. I've seen the cover. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, and that's about it. That movie was interesting and in for a few ways. First of all. Ventriloquist dummies are creepy. However, you wanna to cut it, they're creepy. There happened to be a haunted house of that at Halloween Horror Nights, which was awesome. It had a very cool effect where you were, looked like you were walking in a uh, ventriloquist theater or like a, a Broadway theater or whatever it is mm-hmm. on a catwalk, and they used mirrors on the floor 
to make it, and then they built the set upside down above you, so you could look down, and it looked like you were hundreds of feet above the ground, Ooh, which was really cool. And not to mention the fact that ventriloquist dummies are creepy. Um, so that was one thing. Um, I thought the movie was really good. The This movie might be skewed positively towards me because it was one of the um, horror movies that my wife actually watched because she was going to go to Halloween Horror Nights, and she decided that she would be less scared if she had seen some of the, the reference <laughs> material, so she decided to watch Dead Silence. Oh, boy. And if I even mention Ventriloquist Dummies or that movie or uh, one of the characters in that movie, uh, Bob Gunton, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he always plays like a senator and, or a president or something. He's like an old white jolly guy. If I ever – if she sees him, she just gets ang- angrily scared. Um, that movie made about $20 million. It had a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it did, it actually did make back its budget, but they had planned several sequels and it did not make enough money to do that. But I thought it was scary. It was good. Had a good twist. And who directed that? I don't actually know. Okay. Do you know? I do not. Is that? I thought it was James Wan, but. No, that wasn't that. That wasn't James Wan. I don't think. Let's find out. I got it. That was James Wan. Was it? Oh, yeah, yes, James Wan. So, yeah, I have a James Wan fetish. You do. Nice. Yeah, I have a thing. Number four, I saw this movie with Rob. Hey. And yes. it is Maniac from 1980. Yeah, but it wasn't good. <laughs> oh, here but we it, go. But it was. And it sat with me. Uh-huh. And not a, in, in a just, it was disturbing movie. It actually made quite a bit of money. For I mean, it had like a budget of 550000 It made about $10 million, But, of course... It was it, back when it came out. There was really one major reviewer or two major reviewers, Siskel and Ebert, and they thought it was so grotesque that they basically lambasted it. Hmm. Um, it feels like you're watching a snuff film. It's got some of the early work, I guess, mid career work of um, Tom Savini in it. And in doing research, research on it, it's basically this like drifter New York guy who's a photographer and he is kind of got some mommy issues and he's basically lives in a house full of mannequins because any normal human lives in a house full of mannequins and he's murdering people and scalping them and making mannequins of these like models and stuff. Very disturbing. And some of the cool things that kind of came up as I was doing my research on it today, by the way, I'm on so many watch lists now after doing research today. (laughs) I can imagine. So, there is a dummy that was used for a, a very famous exploding head scene inside of a car where someone is standing on the um, the hood of a car and shoots a shotgun through the window and blows up this head. And it's the dummy is supposed to look like Tom Savini. The person that actually did the shot because they didn't have enough money to do it again was Tom Savini. So he, he said it was very weird shooting himself in the face because it was a very realistic-looking dummy. And it's so after they shot the dummy, they th- basically stuck the dummy's body in the trunk of a car then rolled it into the east river so somewhere in the east river is this car with this dummy of tom savini in the trunk that's going to eventually you know surface and freak people out yeah uh, right um there's also a uh a headless corpse in cameo uh, there's a headless corpse cameo in this movie that was the same fake corpse that they used to be jason's mother in friday the 13th and i vaguely remember seeing it mm-hmm. and being like that looks that visual looks familiar I, though i remember seeing the head but that kind of looks familiar um 
And then the other thing, this will be more more effective for Jimmy than Rob. Uh, the next movie that the director of this made, uh, it was, his name was uh, William Lustig, was called Nighthawks, which is a song by who? The Midnight. Yeah, unrelated. And he actually went down that rabbit hole and started looking at, at uh, information about Nighthawks, which actually starred Sylvester Stallone, but not related to spying on someone from across an apartment complex. Okay. And Oh, and the, the song Maniac, the one that we all know from Flashdance, was actually written for this, but it was a little too up-tempo for a movie about a, <laughs> a greasy drifter murdering people. So, He's a maniac, maniac. Keep going, not, please. Not editing that out either. Continue. Number, <laughs> number three is 13 Ghosts. Yes. Uh, $20 million budget, $68 million made, so it wasn't exactly a financial bust. However, critics hated it. It... You know, it just, I said before that I, we talked about this last week, I love the fact that each of the, the 12 ghosts technically had personalities. And they each had a little name, you know, the there was what, the firstborn son, the bound woman, the torso, the hammer, all these ghosts. And each one of them had a very distinct story. The character design was great. The, the, the scares were great. The overall plot, eh. But the best thing about that, and I will say it again, if you can find this movie on Blu-ray or DVD, it has a special featurette that acts like a, it's basically a documentary telling you the stories of each of these 12 ghosts. Very very cool. Has artwork and stuff like that. I, love I have it. to find that. Uh, just ask me. I own it. <laughs> I would like to borrow that. No. <laughs> all right. We're all going it. to Greg's house. Yeah. No, I will, I'll bring it in on uh, next time I see you. Please do. Okay. Number two, Near Dark. Yet That's another awesome take on vampires. Tomorrow at 11, by the way. Near dark? When you'll see me again. Oh, yeah. Wow. At a meeting for Halloween stuff. Okay, I'll, remember, I'll try to remember to bring it. Um, so Near Dark is yet another take on the vampire genre. It is a 1980-something movie? 85, 86? 87, 87. Directed by Catherine Bigelow, who you guys might know as the director of the Academy Award-winning director of The Hurt Locker. And also directed Zero Dark Thirty and Point Break. Oh wow! Things. Yeah. <laughs> and have you ever fired near... a gun while jumping through the air? <laughs> I haven't seen that in way too long. Yeah. So Near Dark, it is um, kind of a vampire western, and it's got Bill Paxton in it. It's got Lance Henriksen, Jeanette Goldstein, who you might know as Vasquez. Oh yes, Vasquez. Yes. And uh, you know Jenny Wright. It's just, it's cool. It's got, um, it just has a slightly different take on vampires, and I really liked it. It's got people, you know, slowly turning. It's got, you know, a lot of play with the, with the sunlight and the whole idea of the vampire den, which, of course, reminded me of that haunted house. Uh, it was just a cool experience watching it, and it was, you know, kind of up there mood-wise with um, you know, Lost Boys or any of those other kind of cool vampire movies from the 80s. One of the best vampire movies made. Lost Boys? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And my number one. Trick or Treat, the anthology, never even made it to theaters, and it is a little bit of a cult classic, so much so that it is featured at Halloween Horror Nights this year. Um, I, we bought this, again, with, I bought this with Rob. He's a bad influence. <laughs> we went to the late night 1 a.m. Walmart run to get some more, uh, I believe it was those plastic hooks to hang up Halloween decorations oh, we ran out, yes. and some twine and stuff. Because it's always a really good idea to go buy, like, hooks and twine at 3 in the morning at Walmart. Because that won't cause it's, any problems. No, it's Walmart. Nobody cares. 
Yeah. Add add a shovel so, and some lye, and maybe people will look at you. Maybe a little. Maybe. Bit. And uh, I saw this movie that just had a really cool cover. Of this that little Sam guy, little pumpkin headed or little burlap headed guy, and I was like, ah, eh, it's an anthology, and I I love horror anthologies. They mostly suck, but I love them. And it was super cheap, and, if I remember correct. Yeah, like a buck ninety nine or something on Blu-ray. Yeah, mind you. So I p- picked it up. We finished decorating. We watched it, and it was just good. And it it was weird because it was scary in a way, but it wasn't scary to me because part of the whole plot of the movie is that Sam is basically kind of an avenging angel of anyone that disses Halloween. So I'm watching it thinking like, well, I'm safe because I love my ass, yeah, because my ass was just at Walmart buying Halloween decorations. Yep, so I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm all set. But it was just a fun movie to watch. It's just I like that it's slowly growing in popularity, and I like how iconic the little guy has become. Um, you know, cute for us people that love Halloween, terrifying for those that don't. So that was my number one trick or treat. Very or trick or treat, technically. Very nice. Very good. Well, Rob, wait, I have to stop you right here. Rob. Um, that snuff film you made with the trucker, um, that was never given wide release, so that can't be one of yours. Yeah, but it didn't It didn't even bring back its budget, so that should count, right? Yeah, it uh, wasn't. You probably don't want to talk about that. You might, you, your attorney told you. Oh. Just stick with the the ones that came out from a studio. Fine, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> go on. Well, I had I I went a little different, um, a little different than um, than Greg in that I never really trust what the critics say about movies anyway. So a critic lambasting it does not, to me, make a movie um, underrated or a flop. To me, people going to see the movie or people being aware of the movie is what is what would constitute a movie being successful or being a flop. Um, so so a large portion of my list actually contains movies that did not do very well in the box office. Um, just, on, I, just on their initial release, not necessarily in subsequent releases or DVDs or anything like that. I want to preface this by saying I have no idea what's on Rob's list, except for one. Yes. So really, go ahead, I can't wait. Um, so... Um, I'll start with one of the more campy titles on my list because yes, there is horror camp. Um, but this was a movie that was actually, that I actually watched when I was a kid. Um, I loved it. It, um, it actually last month just celebrated its 30th anniversary and that Mm. would be Monster Squad. (gasps) Yes. And Monster Squad was a movie about a group of kids in, in the eighties that, that ended up banding together. Their their town was basically under siege from all of the classic movie monsters. Um, uh, Dracula, uh, Frankenstein, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Somehow they all ended up converged on Wait, this little hold town. on. Go ahead. You forgot Wolfman. The Wolfman, definitely. And Wolfman's got nards. And oh, Wolfman's I wanted to say. Wolfman's got nards. Wolfman's got nards. But yep. it was... It was a great we have a title. We have a title for the episode. <laughs> Wolfman's yeah. Got Nards. Perfect. It it was a great movie. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that both of you have seen it. Is that correct? That is correct. That is yeah. one of those. Um, one of our friends, Rich. He that was one of those movies that if it was on TV, he was watching it, like regardless of what was supposed to be happening. Right. If that and, one and I was on TV, amazed. We stopped. I was amazed when I found out that it had a budget of 12 million, and it actually made under four million. Jeez. Wow. It did horrible in the box office. But it was it was a really enjoyable movie. And I, I again that's one of those ones that I don't that I don't really know what happened there. 
Um, so if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It is one that you can watch with kids if you have them. I wouldn't recommend that you have them too young because it might disturb them a little bit. But but that is that is one that you can probably watch with your children. Um, I'll move on to my next one. It's it's another um, another campy one. And I went with this one because it actually made less in relation to its to its budget than its predecessor did. So I went with a sequel as opposed to the original. The original was going to be Evil Dead 2, which did not do very well in the box office. But Army of Darkness did even worse. Did it really? Army of Darkness had a budget of $11 million and it only grossed $11.5. Mm. It, it did not do well at all. And it is it's amazing it how is many of these movies total... then grew. Go ahead. It's amazing how many of these movies grew exponentially after they hit the video market. Isn't it though? And it is. I gotta say that I really, I I really consider Army of Darkness like a cult classic. I mean, because yeah. it it is it is total camp cheese, um, and th- and they and they just go for it. They know it's cheese. They ham it up, and Bruce Campbell is fantastic as Ash. Um, but for this one. It, and and this series of movies, the the Evil Dead Army of Darkness, is actually one that you can play from front from front to back, and then start the next one up right after it, and it'll still line up. Yep. Um, Army of Darkness picks up exactly where Evil Dead Two left off, and hmm. Ash is sucked back in time. Actually, the original title of this movie was Medieval Dead. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. It was. Um, they actually ended up changing it to Army of Darkness. Um, there was there was a little bit of a fight over what the actual name was going to be. Um, the original the original title was Medieval Dead, then it was um, Evil Dead Three: Army of Darkness, and then it just ended up being Army of Darkness um, because the the producers wanted the movie to stand on its own, so to speak. But the uh, the movie is absolutely great. If you like if you like cheesy B style movies, um, and you you like to laugh and I, I definitely recommend that one because it's very enjoyable. Um, another one that surprised me was John Carpenter's The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing had a budget of $13 million, and it only grossed $13 million. So it made its money back, but it did not—it it was considered a flop. It was considered a flop because it just did not generate the interest or the, or the, uh, the revenue that was expected. Um, and as as we discussed before, because we discussed about we discussed this movie in one of our previous uh, episodes, yeah, uh, Kurt Russell was great in this movie. Um, oh, it was the it was the storm episode. That's right, because I picked it as one of my storm movies. Um, yeah. But it did very poorly in the theater, and I'm I'm just surprised. Like when I when I started doing the research to find out so, how some of these movies did, I was like, I can't believe that did so poorly. Rob's just gonna start picking every. See how many times you can get the thing into his favorite movies. Like, What's your favorite romantic comedy? Well, the thing. The thing. The thing. Yes, yeah. it's a it's a love story about a guy and a beast. Uh, a guy and a monster. Favorite anime. Well, I really like the thing. Yeah, yeah. What the hell. But anyway, go on. But yeah, I, I was I was surprised when I found out how poorly it actually did because I, I mean as we've discussed before, it was a really good. It, it was a very enjoyable movie. Um, yeah. And even with some of the. Uh, at this point now dated special effects um it was it was still f- very well done they still largely hold up yeah I yeah I, I mean i watched it very recently i watched the thing and um the hateful eight on the same night because it's basically the same movie okay and 
So I kind of did like a movie little marathon thing, and it's it's it holds up. Okay, and and I and yeah, I mean the. There, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of special effects that you're like, okay, yeah, that's that is totally a rubber mask, and and you know you can tell, but for the most part, the movie itself is actually does a really good job of generating suspense. Um, it does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for my next one, I'm really torn as to what's my number one because I really think that Event Horizon is my number one just because of how badly it flopped. Um, being that it had a budget of sixty million and only and only brought back twenty six million, um, I, I have to put Event Horizon at number one. But my my next completely underrated movie, and that's probably largely because it did not see a wide release in the U.S. Um, I know what you're going to say. You do. I don't. You've it's seen it, Tucker, Tucker and Dale. It is. Yeah. Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a great comedy horror spoof I guess you want to call it yes it's it's basically a a slasher flick told from the perspective of the hillbillies who are supposed to be the slashers and they can't figure out what's going on and there's this entire comedy of errors with the college kids who actually end up being well you know I don't want to I don't want to ruin it or anything but it's pretty evident you know from the very beginning of the movie um that and it's just this huge comedy of errors and the hillbillies are trying to figure out what is going on and why these college kids are so crazy and actually if you buy the dvd there's actually a um a sequence on the dvd that shows you the movie from the college kids point of view it basically has all of the college kids scenes and just shows you the movie from their point of view and then it's like oh okay yeah maybe maybe that's how they see it but you know then they kind of go crazy (laughs) but um but it is a completely underrated movie, and I recommend it to everybody. And I, ha- and I don't think I've shown it to someone yet who hasn't liked it. Because it's just one of those movies that's really, really funny. And if you just take the time to sit down and watch it, you'll probably really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, the director of that movie – sorry, Jimmy, go ahead. I was going to say, I've introduced Tucker and Dale vs. Evil to people, and I've been like – to people who don't even like horror movies. And I say – no, it's it's like a horror comedy, and they say no, that doesn't exist. And I just say, like, watch, watch the movie. movie. Alan yeah. Tudyk is in it, and he's hilarious. Yes, um, you know it's, it's 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 a super fun movie. It's a blast. Oh, he's Did gonna he be all right. He's gonna walk it off. <laughs> the, the director of that movie is Eli Craig, and he actually has a, a show. It's either coming out or is out on Netflix called Little Evil, mm-hmm. with uh, Adam Scott and Evangeline Lilly from Lost. Adam Scott from a whole bunch of things, but um, mm-hmm. I think you probably know him most as the um, the other the other brother from Step Brothers, I believe, like the the douchey one. Yes, I saw a preview for that. It looks pretty good. And they're basically it's basically a newlywed couple, and it's a comedy. But the, the, of course, the child that they're raising, I'm not sure if it's theirs or an adoptee or something. I think it's hers. It's her kid is actually the Antichrist. So it looks uh, kind of funny. I don't know much about it. I just happened to to. Uh, find that online and i'm gonna have to go check out netflix when i get done with this but tucker and dale versus evil watch it it's great yes please and and it was i believe it was a canadian movie um it was it 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 had a budget of five million dollars it only made about two hundred and twenty three thousand dollars in the u.s but like i said that was largely because it was a limited release movie i think it was only in like 30 theaters in the u.s yeah. um 
but worldwide, internationally, it did it did make its money back and a little bit more. It made like five million point one, something like that. So it it did make its money back, but it didn't it didn't do fantastically well in its initial release. Yeah, yeah I, I think, actually did not put it on my list because I knew it was going to be on Rob's. I think that one is like perpetually on Netflix. Yeah, I believe so too. And it's great. Yes. We're having a and... doozy of a day, officer. <laughs> 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 and your number one, of course, was was Event Horizon. Yes, um, awesome. just strictly because of how badly it did. Um, it's it's a fantastic movie in its own right. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Um, the the uh, the line when they figure out what the guy is saying still gives me chills. The Liberate Tutame when they translate yes. it from Latin, um, because initially for the whole movie they think he's saying Liberate Me. So it's yep saying it is it is absolutely fantastic. It's a great movie. It's very suspenseful. It is fairly gory, so if you're not prepared for that, it can be a little jarring. But Sam Neill is excellent, excellent, and Lawrence Fishburne, you know, the two of them just hit it out of the park. It was great. Oh yeah, my favorite scene from the movie, uh, without spoiling too much, is when the crew. Uh, first happens upon the event horizon and they check the ship's logs and specifically the ship's video logs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I won't and, say anymore. And, and also, also one of the, one of the more original and clever, um, clever incarnations of faster than light travel, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, because that's that's something else that I haven't seen a whole lot. I mean, because you've got like Star Trek and Star Wars, where they have hyperspace and and warp speed and whatnot. Um, the I, I think I can reveal this without giving away too much of the movie, can't I? Yeah, it's the, kind of right at the very beginning the, when they talk about it. The whole premise the the whole premise of the movie is the Event Horizon is the is the um, uh, prototype ship with the faster than light drive that basically uses a graviton field to fold space in on itself and then punches a hole through. And then when space unfolds, when you come out the other side of the hole, you're basically millions and millions and millions of miles away from where you were. Yes. And that's, that's the premise for their, for their uh, warp speed, if you will. And it, I, I thought it was actually a really clever, really clever idea as far as the, um, as far as the travel is concerned. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, I I may have said this last week, but kind of a cool note. I just took physics class and found out that the event horizon is the point in a black hole to where nothing, including light, can escape. Correct. So I just found out recently that it wasn't just a cool name for a ship. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, and, and I did want to no, say... I. I feel bad if I didn't say this, but uh, in talking about Monster Squad, that was actually co-written by Shane Black, who I believe was Porter in Predator and is currently at the helm of the new Predator movie coming out. And I believe he wrote Iron Man 3 as well. He did. I got to find Monster Squad again. It's been so long. It has been a long time. It's a really enjoyable movie. Give me five podcasts. Screening, screening of some sort. I, I believe they played that at the end again, like the outdoor pitcher movie. Yes, they did. Hawkins. They did. He wasn't they Porter. Did. He was Hawkins. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll let it slide. We didn't catch it. So, okay. So that is our episode. As you can see, we are rolling very, 
very heavily into the, the horror stuff, and that's going to kind of continue through through October. Um, and then it's going to basically be all Christmas all the time. What Rob will sing you nothing but Christmas carols. It'll be very all fun. day, for, a day, for an in, hour and a half every week using his Scottish band voice. He'll be singing you Christmas carols. <laughs> ah, jingle bells. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you for listening. If you have other movies that you want us to see, and please, 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 please let us know about that because. We love finding new movies. We love being disturbed by what you guys come up with. Oh, if you've got any good ones, we want to know them because we will watch them. Yeah, I don't mean to sound like I'm begging here, but please chime in. I'm curious to know what you guys think. Yeah. So any of our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, that's probably not so much Instagram, uh, email, any of the Give Me Five, that's F-I-V-E spelled out, do that. We will be sure to watch them. And we will be sure to talk about what sick, twisted human beings that you are after we watch them. And we mean that in the nicest possible voice. <laughs> so for the Gimme 5 podcast, I'm Greg. I'm Jimmy. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. I'm the leader of this squad, so listen up. You said Dracula knows we're here, so let's just try to find the amulet. And get the hell out of here. Wolfman's gone, no!